0: This April...
1: Monsters do exist in this place.
0: Animal Planet's River Monsters
1: returns with an all-new season. The Amazon. The one place whose mysteries keep calling me back. Look at that for a fish. Here, I've seen many monsters. Those teeth. But I've yet to see... There it is, there
0: it is. ...my last. (laughs) River Monsters. Sunday nights at 9, starting April 6th. Animal Planet, surprisingly human.
1: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. This is part two, looking at women and video games. The last episode, which I'm sure you listened to, was focusing on women in the actual gaming industry. The women who design the games... Run the companies, come up with these great ideas, and the fact that while well, the numbers aren't great, there is hope out there. We gave you a list of a lot of really interesting women who are heading up companies and designing the games. This episode, we're going to be talking about both the women playing the games and the women in the games.
1: Yeah, so let's kick off with some numbers uh, for a little refresher Women comprise 45% of the entire gaming population, and that includes all kinds of games. And then from there, we comprise 31% of video gamers. So anyone who says women and girls don't play video games don't know what they're talking about. That's right.
0: One uh, thing that is kind of lobbed against women gamers, though, is that a lot of us play social games. These might be on social media. They're called social or casual gaming. And it's things like Candy Crush, for instance.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing is how King, which is a company that publishes Candy Crush, actually tests all of its new games on a target demo of women 25 to 55. And if they like it, They go ahead and put it out because they found that if women, 25 to 55, respond well to a game, Mm -hmm. it goes on to be a smash hit with all audiences. What do you know about that? Who knew? Well, so women comprise 54% of social gamers
0: compared to 46% of men, and the average age is 40. What's up with that? Why Why do women make up such a huge percent of social gamers? I think it could have something to do with the fact that, I don't know. We're busy and we might not have a tendency to sit down and play Halo for five hours.
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, we dominate social media. There are more of us on places like Facebook where you see so many Candy Crush updates and ads. Um, but experts suggest that essentially women are adult women. Where I mean, think about moms, Okay, working moms. They are multitasking. They have so much to do. And there was a story that I was reading, interviewing one woman about her candy crush addiction. And she, I think she had had a very young child. And she said, I play it during nap time because it's just this little window of time Mm -hmm. that I have all to myself. And it allows me to forget everything. She can't sit down and play Call of Duty for eight hours. And she says that playing it offers her just this window of escape. Mm-hmm. And because she doesn't have time, for instance, to... Not that all men have hours to kill playing Call of Duty. Kill, Call of Duty, huh, pun. But that they th- they think that that's one reason why adult women tend to play more on-the-go games is just because we, we have smaller pockets of time mm-hmm. throughout the day, perhaps. Um, but this whole... Women being more drawn to social and casual gaming, as it's called. I kind of hate the term casual gaming because it plays into yeah. the stereotype that women aren't legit gamers. Because if you start talking to, quote-unquote, hardcore gamers mm-hmm. and you are female-identified, well, just get ready because they will challenge your credibility. Because they're going to want to know, as soon as you say that you enjoy games... You're going to need you essentially need a resume to prove that you know what you're talking about. Kind of like talking to like record store guys. (laughs) No
0: offense. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned hardcore like that's that's actually a thing. That's a demographic. Hardcore gamers are defined by playtime per week and are basically a smaller subset of a game's core audience. These are the top 10 percent of gamers who spend the most time playing per week at 19
1: hours a week. 19 hours a week. That's incredible. That's a second job. That's like a part-time job. Yeah. Uh, And Dennis Skimeca over at VentureBeat looked into gender and core and hardcore gaming, because don't confuse core gaming and hardcore gaming. Core gamers simply refer to anyone who plays video games on consoles like Xbox 360, PS3, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as like Nintendo Wii and uh, 3DS. And when you look at the top-selling super genres, as they're called, for these core gamers, these console players, it is a lot of guy-oriented stuff. First-person shooter games, action games, sports games. Those are the three, not surprisingly, top sellers. And they have overwhelmingly, over 75%, male audiences. Although, as we mentioned in that last podcast, in part one of our video game series, do not discount women for not wanting to play First-person shooter games, action games, etc. Because, what was it, like 30% of Mm -hmm. women enjoy playing violent video games. Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk about these core gamers,
0: these are the people who really have the most influence over how the public thinks about video games and gamers. So when you think of a gamer, the image that comes to mind is not... Uh, A 40-year-old married woman playing Candy Crush. You think of that demographic that is playing a first-person shooter game on the Xbox 360, for instance. So when you look at uh, the age breakdown for core and hardcore gamers, the core audience has an average age of about 30 and is skews 60-40 male the hardcore average
1: age is lower it's about 24 25 and skews 85 to 15 male and that i mean that 85 15 breakdown of the hardcore gaming population is where a lot of this idea that well women don't play video games no women are actual legit gamers that's where a lot of this comes in but the thing is you got to remember when you're hearing from hardcore gamers we're talking about like the 90th percentile gamers these are the people who play in the top 10%, mm-hmm. like 19, like you said, an average. I mean, some people play plenty more than 19 hours a week. Mm-hmm. These are it's like the the voices of few are being broadcast to many exactly well now Kristen, you said something a minute ago about like
0: if a if a woman or a young girl says that she's a gamer she basically has to prove herself like she needs a resume to prove that she knows about and plays games this ties into the whole girl gamer stereotype and girl usually spelled when it's being used as a pejorative term, G-U-R-L, not to be confused with the generic, just a girl gamer, a female person who plays games, and not to be confused with fake geek girls, like all of these things that arouse such ire in a lot of young men playing video games, and a lot of stereotypes that come up with this girl gamer Surround the idea that any woman or young girl who is playing games is just doing it for attention. And God forbid you claim the term girl gamer for yourself. God forbid you want to set yourself apart as a woman and own it. Because there's that notion that if you're doing it, you do just want attention. You're not even allowed to own your own femininity or femaleness.
1: Yeah, and and this spawned an entire meme across the internet. Where and you have like women participating in it as well, talking down about oh, girl gamer, she's just a girl gamer. Oh, did she Instagram herself looking cute with her joystick in her hand? Then you're just a gr- girl gamer. You don't actually enjoy these games. And um, I, <laughs> I got into a little bit of a Reddit rabbit hole reading up on girl gamers because it's just interesting to see. Just first person, these perceptions and people's supposed experiences with them. And there was one uh, woman's post on Reddit talking about, you know what? She kind of copped to it. She said, I was a girl gamer for a while. She started talking about how she kind of found gaming. And it was the first place where she ever received attention, any kind of attention from guys. She never really fit in. She was overweight. She just never felt good about herself. And finally, when she found gaming, all of a sudden, men were taking interest in her because Mm -hmm. she was into this kind of male-oriented hobby. And she said that for a while, she kind of played it up because she enjoyed that so much. Mm -hmm. And to me, her experience was telling because... It seemed like this wasn't an issue of, oh, well, this must mean that women aren't legitimate gamers. But it more just has to do with, you know, flirtation, body image, how we deal with the world and our attractions and attractiveness, et cetera. At, but but what is what, what it's led to is a lot of slut shaming that mm-hmm. happens and just ickiness that women have to deal with. That was one of the main things that uh, our Facebook Uh, Stuff Mom Never Told You followers responded to when we asked what we should talk about regarding video games. So many women said, oh, please talk about girl gamers and how I always have to prove myself.
0: Yeah, but those girl gamers are a lot of the times having to prove themselves based on their looks. Whereas if a dude comes along and wants to play a game, it's like, okay, well, we're going to test you based on your skill. Are you any good at this? No. Okay, well, then obviously you're not worth it. Whereas when a woman comes along, it's like, okay, well, are you hot? Are you really playing the game? Are you just posing with your joystick and like licking it and posting pictures of yourself on the internet? Like, yeah, first of all, why are you licking a joystick? But, yeah, that's the thing. There's like that horrible divide where men at least get the get the favor of being judged on their actual skill, whereas women are just like, "Are you cute or not?" or
1: yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard anyone termed a guy gamer. Oh, he's a guy gamer. he's just he's just posing with that joystick by his abs. For, just, for the, just for the ladies.
0: Well, then, I mean, that's another thing you hear. A lot of guys saying, like, shut up about being a girl gamer. I don't call myself a guy gamer. You're just a gamer. And so, but then that discourages girls and women who do want to own it. Because, yes, okay, well, there's a girl gamer demographic that's, like, just doing it for attention, according to these guys. But then... What happens when the girls and women actually want to say, no, I'm different from you. I
1: play differently. I want different things. And why do all of these criteria have to exist? Katie Heaney over at BuzzFeed created just such a perfect collection of all of the slut shamey, confusing and sometimes straight up sexist and contradictory rules for being a girl gamer where it's like. You got to play games, but you can't be too obvious about it because if you're too obvious about how you like games and they're just going to assume that you're a girl gamer and then, you know, the guys want you to be attractive because we like looking at attractive people. But if you're too attractive, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, can... and so that's why a lot of times women will end up going just like won't speak, for instance, on, you know, like multiplayer games. They won't. They just keep their femaleness as hidden as possible just to not have to even deal with it.
0: Yeah, blogger Stephanie Ben Dixon basically said the exact same thing. She was talking about how she finds herself editing certain aspects of her femininity for fear that it would somehow damage her credibility. And, I mean, this gets into all sorts of issues that Kristen and I have talked about before as far as femphobia goes. But Stephanie says, hey, look, I have a lot of pink tech accessories. And she goes into it, it starts to sound really cool, and she's, like, owning her differences. She says she accepts the term girl gamer because, for now, we're still a minority that faces a wall of angry nerd rage... But in talking about her pink accessories, I noticed something very interesting. Because at first she's like, yeah, I'm owning it. Like, pink is different. But then she says, I liked the idea of how this obnoxiously defiant and slightly sickening color would go against the grain somewhat. And then I'm like, oh, Stephanie. Like, there's still, she, while she is owning pink and owning the term girl gamer, there still sounds like there's femphobia in that. Because she's calling the color pink obnoxious and sickening. And so it still sounds like. She's been discouraged over her game playing career from kind of owning her femaleness. Well,
1: I think it's because of a lot of those contradictory rules in quotes yeah. that pop up for, you know, just you, you can't you can't look like you're trying too hard. Yeah, you know, Um, and it's fascinating to me that in this segment specifically, like in gaming, that it's such a prominent aspect of it like this just this common assumption that that women have some kind of ulterior motive mm-hmm. for wanting to play games um but unfortunately like the kinds of you know the issues of harassment that women in the video game industry the ones who are making the games sometimes run up against another thing that was echoed among people on Facebook was the issue of also dealing with straight up harassment from other gamers as soon as their female identity is revealed sometimes They just get an onslaught of come-ons or just gendered epithets. Uh, There was a survey conducted by Emily Matthew at the Price Charting blog, which found that women are harassed four times as often as men. And 63% reported being called a slut, whore, or other words that I can't say on this podcast. And there were also lots of charming requests for women to just get back in the kitchen and start making lots of sandwiches. Yeah.
0: And in that poll, 80% of the people she talked to believe that sexism is rampant. Interesting that 20% don't, but I mean, you know, you would, you would think that there, okay. So there is a degree of awareness, but it sure is still bad out there despite that awareness.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it does go both ways. 15.7% of men also reported that they had experienced sex-based taunting, harassment, or threats while playing video games. Um And 10% of women, unfortunately, copped to using their gender for favors. Basically, like, strolling into World of Warcraft and being like, Oh, yes, uh, you want to give me gold? Sure, no problem. <laughs> Tee-hee-hee. <laughs> Well, and just like
0: we talked about in the last episode where um, a lot of well, not a lot, but but many women, probably many more than we even know, many women have left the industry because of the abuse. Nearly 36 percent of women that Emily Matthew polled reported having to quit playing temporarily because of the abuse and the harassment versus 11.7 percent
1: of guys that she polled. Yeah, gamers, gamers you be mean sometimes. yeah. well looking a little bit deeper into this issue, uh, a, a team over at Ohio University looked at the reactions by gamers to female voices versus male voices on Xbox Live, like looking at first person shooter games. and uh, they they published a study in the journal New Media and Society in 2013, and one of the researchers, Y Yen Tang, Um, explained how, on average, female voices received three times as many negative comments as male voices or no male voices. And on top of that, women's voices received more queries and messages from other gamers than male voices or no voices. So it's kind of the same thing of... Uh, just by virtue of being a woman, you sort of open yourself up to either being called terrible things or being solicited for sex.
0: Yeah, so you basically,
1: your option is to speak and get abused or remain silent. Yeah. And Tang said, the take home message is that female players, when heard, aren't treated as well as their male counterparts despite skill level wins or losses. They, women aren't attracting negative comments just because They'd be terrible at gaming. Yeah, it's
0: like there's there's that little sign up on the clubhouse door: "No girls allowed." Yeah, it's oh, yeah. unfortunate.
1: Although I know that not all male gamers are like this. Guy, guy gamers listening, I'm going to call you guy gamers. Don't worry, I, I know that it's it's again. I feel like it's the loud voices mm-hmm. of this horrific minority that often get the most. All the, that are generating all of this negative press, right? Because it's horrifying. It is kind of horrifying. <laughs> So let's look a little bit more maybe into what women want in their games, aside from harassment, obviously, because this is a question that ties back to our part one episode, looking more at the industry of like what what they're trying to figure out of, well, aside from, we know, we know that Candy Crush is popular, but what kind of games do women really like playing? Because if you look back into the early days of gaming, the The titles that were made specifically for women and girls were so hilariously riddled with hearts and sparkles and pink. And there's actually a site called Femicom, that's com with an M, uh, which calls itself the Feminine Computer Museum. It's a website dedicated to archiving these, quote-unquote, girl games from, like, the early 80s and 90s. And it's kind of fascinating to see I mean, these are also the days when you have alone Carol Shaw or Donna Bailey at Atari, like the only woman, like in, in the room. So not surprisingly that you have such kind of overtly just, let's play house. You have to do the dishes for 20 points. Kind of games <laughs> coming up.
0: Kristen accepts that challenge. She will organize the dishwasher. I
1: will. <laughs> I would win that game. You would.
0: God. But I mean yeah the 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 museum founder I guess we'll call her basically said that she's preserving these games to spark conversations not necessarily preserving them because they are so awesome but preserving them because nobody's playing them anymore nobody's talking about them they're not talking about them the way you would like Duck Hunt like everybody has a Duck Hunt memory of standing up against the TV with the gun even though you're not supposed to But nobody has those collective memories of these, quote-unquote, girly games. And so she is working to preserve them just so that we can take a look at why we do the things we do, why we look at certain games the way we do.
1: Yeah, and, and she pointed out how girly video games are rarely advertised, reviewed, or written up, and rarely demoed in stores. And she says even if it's a huge seller, like the more recent game, Style Savvy, for Nintendo DS, which... I mean, style-savvy, come on. Hardcore gamers, roll their eyes. But it's a big seller, Mm -hmm. and yet it's kind of like um, with fandom in general, a lot of times, girly fandom... Is sort of relegated to the corner. Just like go, go away, hearts and polka dots. No, no, you over here. You, there's a little pink corner over here. <laughs> Stay behind that line. I picture it like the Lego
0: movie. Like there's all these little universes, different universes for different video games. Yeah, the polka dot, polka dots. You go over there, and they're all
1: like, sad polka dot. But the fact of the matter is, don't don't worry, women gamers listening. We are not suggesting that style savvy is what women want in video games. We're also not suggesting that Candy Crush or Halo. Or Grand Theft Auto, or whatever games. You know what people are realizing, Caroline? Hmm. Women want different things. We don't all want the same kind of game. Weird. Women are different. Yeah. Than each other. That's what you're. That's what you're saying. Women are different from each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. You and me. We might even want to play different games. I want to load. I want to play my dishwasher game. <sighs> Maybe you want to play Prince of Persia. Build the sandwich game. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is coming from Kevin Kelly over at joystick.com. He was talking about how women do like story-driven games. Uh, we do appreciate in-game d- tutorials because honestly, who reads manuals or even like instruction manuals when you're putting together an IKEA shelf? Like, nobody reads these things. Um, but, but the point is just making women aware of more games. You know, letting them know that, hey, they might also like Halo as well, but it's a matter of not advertising it to everyone across the board with just some busty, sexy sexpot on the cover. You know, keep in mind that your audience is very diverse.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is market research that does suggest that certain themes like games that are more story-driven or sort of a more communication-based, uh, The Sims, for instance, massively popular Among women, uh, maybe games that might be a little more emotionally evocative tend to appeal more to women, but don't get pigeonholed in just trying to remake those games over and over again. Rather, you know, consider all of these women who are also really loving to frag people and see, hey, maybe we can uh, maybe we can put a female protagonist in there, put. Put a gun in the hands of a woman, shall we? Video game-wise. <laughs> right. video games.
0: Well, we are going to talk about women in video games, the female protagonist of video games, and, and how telling their roles are when we come
1: right back from a quick break. And now back to the show. So when we left off, we had established that while market research has suggested that there are certain types of games that women like, Surprise, surprise, women like different kinds of things. And yet, if you look at the legacy of female characters in especially like big name video games, they start to fall into very predictable types of roles. So, for instance... Uh, in the late 80s, this game called Metroid came out, and I'm sure a lot of people have played Metroid, and it features this character, Samus, female character, and she, for uh, all of the game, she's wearing kind of this genderless robotic exoskeleton. But then, and it's, like, super cool, because you can, like, play Samus, and she's doing all sorts of cool stuff. But then, when you win the game... The exoskeleton is taken off to reveal her bikini body.
0: Yeah, and and an article about this had a really, really important point about this, which is that as you're playing the game, that robot exoskeleton character, that is you. You are the hero, and you are shooting. But once you win, and the robot suit is removed, and you see a bikini-clad woman, then... That character isn't you anymore. It's just a passive object that you get to, you get rewarded with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they found, we'll get into this a little bit more, but speaking of that sort of the role playing that happens within video games, there is a type of self objectification that happens just by virtue of playing a character. Mm -hmm. Like you take on the role of that character. And when you see that character then stripped down to reveal a busty bikini body, studies have shown that it makes us think about our own bikini bodies in usually more negative ways. And so uh, there was a 2009 study, essentially, that took a, a census of video games, and it found that, not surprisingly, male characters not only outnumber women in video games, but also female characters are overwhelmingly stereotypical and sexualized, even the case of a potentially really cool character. Like Samus. Now that's, people are probably thinking, but Kristen, that happened in like the 80s. That was like the 80s. Things have like totally changed, right? No. What? Who are these fictional people that you're referencing, Kristen? Guy gamers. Yeah, no, things are not better. And someone who has done a ton of research to dig into... These kinds of tropes is one Anita Sarkeesian who made quite a name for herself in the video game industry for, uh, she had done a tropes versus women series for a while, just looking at the portrayals of women in pop culture. And she decided that she wanted to really dig into the video game industry because it is such a massively popular and growing form of entertainment for people. And she began, uh, she had a Kickstarter campaign. And essentially, she got cyber mobbed by a lot of people who were not happy about someone wanting to talk about video games from a feminist perspective, Mm -hmm. essentially kind of taking a deeper look at like, well, what how do these video games portray women? And the good news is her Kickstarter massively exceeded expectations because she received such an onslaught of cyber attacks from people. She publicized it and people then rushed to her aid. Um and she still, I mean, if you Google her name, especially if you look her up in YouTube, you find her videos, but you also find so many videos of people trying to discredit her. So I feel like we need to give a little context to who Anita Sarkeesian is because if you are a gamer, you've probably heard of her, and there's a good chance that it isn't in a good light. But mm-hmm. I will tell you, I have watched her videos. She does a great job of offering a comprehensive and non-threatening look at women in games While admitting that she still enjoys these games. She's not saying burn video games to the ground, but it's worthwhile to look into how women are portrayed because uh, she explained this so well in an interview with IGN saying, Think of it this way. If gaming is the air we all breathe right now, the air quality is currently extremely polluted with thick clouds of toxic sexism with radioactive particles of misogyny floating around. Everywhere. Sounds terrifying, right? Well, that's
0: society. <laughs> Hello. And of course, that's not to say, and, and Kristen and I are trying to drive home that it's not everybody, it's not all the time, it's not everywhere, but there are a lot of tropes in these games that are worth talking about. Even if you do like playing them and we're not saying you shouldn't play them. We are, and so I think Sarkeesian is, pleading for a little bit of media savvy to just be kind of aware of what you're looking at when you're looking at it. And anyway, one of the tropes that she focuses hard on is the whole damsel in distress. What harm could a damsel in distress possibly have? But, you know, a lot of these in-your-face things that we see over and over again tend to drive home stereotypes about women and the way we think about women. But anyway, before we get into that... What is this trope? Basically, uh, it's princesses, wives, girlfriends, basically women in these games who often end up kidnapped or somehow frozen and disempowered or they're put under a spell
1: or they're frozen in a crystal. Basically, they're trapped somehow. Yeah. And by trapping the women, it gives the male hero some kind of incentive to go through this journey. And hey, you know what? I love Super Mario Brothers, Princess Peach. What a gal. She's great. But she's kind of the quintessential damsel in distress. Um, and Um But this started even before Super Mario Brothers with Donkey Kong and Pauline, also known as the lady. And Pauline, who was a damsel in distress in Don Donkey Kong, was actually kind of the model for Princess Peach. And Peach is kidnapped, for mm-hmm. instance, in 13 out of the 14 Mario games she's featured in. And she's only a playable character in Super Mario Brothers 2, which came out in... 1988 um and she also talks about how uh, you see the same kind of thing in zelda named for the damsel in distress and she's really zelda's never really been the star in her own adventure isn't isn't that a sad metaphor it is it really is ladies let's not be zeldas let that (laughs) let, let that just settle over the crowd um Although Sarkeesian points out how she does sometimes get more active roles. She becomes more of a helpful damsel at times, but she always ends up at least getting re-kidnapped. She has to be saved at some point. And she says this exists in pretty much any type of game, whether you're looking at first-person shooters, RPGs, MMOs, like you're going to find damsels in distress everywhere. Mm -hmm. And even when you have a heroic archetype of, the hero being imprisoned. A lot of times the way that hero will escape is through his own strength and cunning. Huzzah!
0: And this poor frickin damsel, like, so not only is she, like, imprisoned in a castle or she's trapped or tied up or whatever, she also is the victim of pretty horrific violence in all these different kinds of video games. She tends to be basically a disposable woman who falls victim to any number of horrific, violent
1: acts. So Sarkeesian ticks through all of these different game titles about how they follow similar paths of, for instance, the hero's wife being brutally murdered and then you have to rescue the daughter. That happens over and over and over again. Or you have a wife or girlfriend's soul being trapped in hell and so then, you know, the hero has to travel to try to like, uh, save the soul. And then you might also have damsels who martyr themselves that will then propel the hero on his journey. Sometimes also you have games that force the hero to brutally kill the wife or girlfriend, either because it turns out, dun da da, she was the villain the whole time, or that's like the only way that you can win the game. Right. Violence against women solves everything according to these games, right? Basically, I mean it's sort of the way that these a lot of these games work is it sort of forces you into, you know, having one solution, which is Beating up, killing, stabbing, shooting, strangling, whatever it will take to kill these women. And that's that's not so good, Caroline. No. And and, you know, you could be
0: wondering, well, what does this have to do with anything as far as real life goes? Why do we care about violence in video games? Haven't there been studies showing that it doesn't make us a more violent culture? Well, actually, un, like needless violence against women in all these games
1: actually does have quite a big impact. Yeah, Yen Tang, who's one of those Ohio University researchers we mentioned earlier, said, quote, the general gist of sexual content in video games is that exposure to such content leads to attitudes that are unfavorable toward women. And you see this reflected in so many studies. For instance, a 2012 study uh, found that a video game depicting sexual objectification of women and violence against women resulted in statistically significant increased rape myth acceptance, essentially sort of rape supportive attitudes, the whole idea of like, you know, women asking for it, et cetera. Um, And that was more prevalent among male study participants, but not for female participants. But that's not to say that these kinds of video games that sexually objectify women don't have negative impacts on female players.
0: Right, yeah. Uh, A 2013 Stanford study found that women who played with a sexualized avatar, whether it was basically with her face on it or with another woman's face, engaged in more self-objectification and bought into rape myths more.
1: Yeah, you see this theme of increased rape myth acceptance a lot in these studies. Um, Also, in 2009, there was a study that came out, which found stereotype confirming virtual women correlated to higher levels of sexism and again rape myth acceptance in male and female players and we could go on and on and mm-hmm. on there are a number of studies finding over and over again that hey when we basically use women highly sexualized women in video games as props upon which to inflict violence or rape there are you know there there's the infamous rape uh scene in Grand Theft Auto. Uh, there was also a rape scene, I believe, in I don't know if it was in the game or just in promotion for a uh, Tomb Raider edition that came out. And uh, basically it's like, no, we don't, because we're playing, it's different, I feel like it's different from sexual assault being portrayed in movies and television in a way because it's, Almost more engaging because you're playing those characters.
0: Right. And I feel like when rape and sexual assault are depicted in movies and TV shows, it's always a bad thing. It's always like a crime and a negative thing that needs to be solved. Whereas if you're the first person player in a video game that involves rape and sexualizing women, objectifying women,
1: it's, there's, there's nothing necessarily telling you it's wrong. Yeah, it's fodder for your heroism. Right. And, and that can have negative impacts on male and female players. And the solution isn't, yet again, it's not a call to get rid of video games, but rather to ask for better. Raise the bar. I mean, you can have, you can, you can shoot up as many things as you want to mm-hmm. in games. This isn't us railing against gun violence in video games, but, Rather, like you said, you know, Sarkeesian kind of requesting a little bit of media savvy. It's important to pay attention to what we're consuming. Right.
0: And yeah, and not do away with, like you said, shoot 'em up games or whatever, but just offer more and different things like Left Behind, which has garnered incredible praise. People are coming out of the woodwork to be like, oh, my God, this game is amazing. It changed my life. It features a 14 year old girl protagonist.
1: Yeah, and she also interacts with her best friend Riley, and but she still has to do a lot of really tough things. And Laura Hudson wrote about Left Behind recently in Wired magazine, and it was headlined something along the lines of Left Behind was the first video game that really made me feel like proud to be a woman. And she writes, we don't just need more women in video games. We need more women who don't fit in boxes, and she talks about how Left Behind isn't remarkable just because it meets a quota, but because Ellie and her best friend Riley are people. They're fully realized. They're quirky. They're funny. And they're dangerous. And she says that Ellie is there because she's herself, and for once, that's reason enough. She's yeah. not there to just titillate and motivate players. So, like, oh, you know, <laughs> Ellie's been beaten. So go, go kill somebody. Yeah. It's all about
0: her. And like we said in episode number one, uh, Call of Duty Ghosts, for instance, is going to have a female playable character in its multiplayer component.
1: Yeah, and uh, BioWare's Mass Effect 3 has implemented changes that allow for gay romance. I mean, diversity beyond just women is something that we didn't even have time to talk about in a two-part series on video games. Um, so LGBT acceptance and visibility In games is something, too, that needs to be strongly addressed. I mean, a lot of Mm -hmm. what we see is is very (laughs) heteronormative violence against women or just heteronormative romances. And it's like, hey, uh, I'm over here. I'm uh, an LGBT player. Mm -hmm. I exist, too. Yeah, And not to mention, too... Racial diversity as well. Overwhelmingly, male or female, the protagonists are going to be white. A lot of uh, the industry itself is is very white. Um, So there's a lot of room for improvement. And the thing is, a lot of gamers sometimes get up in arms about the possibility of changes. You get attached to a game. You love a game. If you're spending, like if you're a hardcore gamer, 19 plus hours a week with a game, it's understandable that you might be a little resistant to change. But... It's only going to make things better, yeah. You know, and it's going to make things better for, you know, not just the games, but for the people who play them as well. And shouldn't that be the the ultimate goal? No, not for no. People want to people want to just shoot things on a screen, right? Yeah, is that what it is? Crush candies? I don't know the answer, Caroline. This is this is why I I, I really want to hear from listeners on this issue. What is it like to be? A gamer, especially if you are a woman out there. I mean, do you deal with issues of having to prove your credibility? Um, are you harassed or, or are you immune to all of this stuff? Do you find this kind of these kinds of issues sensationalized? We want to hear from everybody. What are your thoughts on this? Mom stuff at discovery.com is where you can email us or you can tweet us at mom stuff podcast. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I've got a message here from Christopher about our manscaping episode, and he said, I'd like to make a statement of opposition in regard to your comments about male body hair still being socially acceptable in the U.S. As a 22-year-old guy with body hair, I get ridiculed and laughed at. On a nearly daily basis by my peers and co-workers. And I'm often told that if I want to get a girlfriend, quote, you need to not be an abominable snowman, bro. Mm. Maybe this is just East Coast college town culture, but my experience here and in Houston were about the same. As a side note, I've tried manscaping in the past, both with nair and traditional methods. But removing all that hair is an arduous task that rewards me with ingrown hair and the sensation of sandpaper taped to the backside of all my shirts. I can only hope that I find a lady who doesn't mind my body hair, if any exists. And Christopher, they absolutely exist. Yeah. I'm pointing at myself right here
0: because my question to you about these people who are like trying to humiliate you, are they all dudes? Because there are plenty of ladies out there who don't mind it or do like it. My, my gentleman caller does have quite a bit of hair in places And he's very handsome.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I say don't, don't listen, don't listen to the, the hair haters. And this is also an example too of why we wanted to talk about this issue because you're experiencing the same, and, and so many other guys I'm sure are experiencing the same kind of body hair shame that has usually just been targeted on women, but Christopher, Don't worry. There are plenty of women who don't mind and might even like a hairy back.
0: Yeah, because if you're getting a bunch of that flack from fellow dudes, all that means is that they're buying into the junk that like those men's magazines are selling them. And they're probably
1: voicing some insecurities. That's right.
0: Okay, I have a letter here from Esme um, also about our grooming episode. She says, for as long as I can remember as a woman, I have been very aware of this expectation to remove almost all body hair, and personally, it's never really sat right with me. I was brought up with role models like Patti Smith who not only grew out their body hair, but were not afraid to show it off. The cover to Patti Smith's album, Easter, is a perfect example of this. But as a woman in her early to mid-twenties, I've never come across someone who shares the beauty in body hair. I'm more than happy with every other aspect of my body, but hate having to shave for other people. I found it interesting when you spoke of the anxiety that some men and women feel when not shaving, and I think I feel the opposite. I prefer how I look when I let my body do its thing, and I wish that wasn't seen as such a disgusting choice. So thank you,
1: Esme, and thank you for sending that picture of Patti Smith's cover. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. MomStuffADiscovery.com is where you can send your emails. If you want to reach out to us on social media, uh, check out this podcast with all the links to all of our sources. Watch our videos. Read our blogs. There's one place to go, and that's StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.